Welcome back. This is part two of this dynamic conversation with the amazing Jason Primrose. If you've not heard the first part, go back, listen to it, and then come back to this because you will miss a lot of good stuff. So hop in here. Here we go. So what is your overall vision for the universe? And I think about going back to the conversation about ego, you don't seem to have an attachment of ownership to it, which is what leads to this question of what you want the universe to be. I want the universe to be a transformative experience that, uh, that is global, that shows BIPOC and LGBTQ plus individuals uh, how powerful they, they are inherently born, just walk out the womb that way, and how powerful we can be if, we're all, if we all band together as a human race. So how that, what that looks like are millions of copies sold, translated into, you know, X number of languages. It is uh, one of those like Game of Thrones, Umbrella Academy, WandaVision-esque television shows, um, you know, series. Um, it is animation like Castlevania. It was. I, I want more. I want more. Everybody's like, it got weird. I'm like, no, it was getting good. Like, I It was getting good. It was a great story the second season. It was, yeah. it was really awesome. And, you know, parks, uh, it's, it's programs, um, it's, it's, you know, books gifted to youth, it's um, people being able to create inside the world, having that be an avenue or, or a path to their own creativity or their own stories. I thought of this story after reading a book, you know, when I was 10. So um, mm. I know the power of like reading something and then being inspired to like continue the tale in your own way with your own people. So. So yeah, so that's the cool thing is I already know in my heart that the experience is transformative and because it transformed me and that's mm. really all the, the example that I need is that in writing 2050Z, I would come and became a completely different, well, maybe became my original self, but I, I changed, I changed, I transformed through, through the writing. What was that book that you read when you were 10? Like, and what, how did it bring you to this? It was called Jeremy Thatcher, Dragon Hatcher. I'm sure no one reads that book anymore, but I used to do those reading as fu- reading as fundamental things. I just yep. picked it up off the shelf, loved it. I love dragons, loved dragons. And I wanted to continue the story. I was like, well, what happens if the dragons, if the humans try to like you? I'm so, I was 10. I was like, what happens if the, if the humans kidnap the dragons and try to use them for labor? Where does this stuff come from? So in my story, the humans go and they kidnap the dragons and they try to use them as as like labor, like cows or some, or horses or whatever. And then Jeremy comes back and tries to save them, except Jeremy's black now and he's basically me. And there's another character who's named Lisa, who uh, he's friends with, who helps him defeat the humans, defeat the general, evil general, and free the dragons. And uh, Lisa is still a character in the book. <laughs> she's still the supporting main character. And she's still pretty much like the same. Like her, the idea of her is pretty similar. And then like later they touch the dragon scales and they get superpowers and it's this whole thing. And that's, that's what it's... <laughs> honestly, I like... So you basically, you like basically wrote the book... Like 
you you wrote the book you wanted like you wrote what you wanted and, and also for you because yeah i'm guessing like i mean i love lord of the rings like i will always love it but but i will also question why i don't see myself in it and so you kind of you wrote the book you wanted and put yourself in it so that little you could read it now and be like oh i can do that yeah so you've talked a little bit about your background your relationship with your mom Mm -hmm. what was your childhood like that has inspired the desire to build a transformative universe for other people Mm. oh that's a powerful question by the way i have great relationships with both of my parents uh, my dad and my mom, and they're very different as well, but they're both huge nerds. Mm. So Fantasia, I always talk about this because Fantasia is still my favorite movie of all time. My dad would let me watch Fantasia over, like just on repeat. And so I would just sit there, no words, and just watch the, and my favorite sequences were the dinosaur ones and the, mm. and, and the mythology ones, but I would just watch that over and over and over and over and over again. And that's all. That's pretty much all I want. Every time I went to his house, I was like, Dad, put on Fantasia. And, um, but it was, I was really encouraged to be creative. Um, I was encouraged to write, not necessarily publish, but I was encouraged to write always um, by everyone in my family. So, and read. So it became just natural that I, I was always reading something. And if I wasn't reading something, I was normally writing something. And if I wasn't doing either of those things, I was watching something that was in that genre of like wild imagination, fantasy, sci-fi. Yeah. So I think I lived in an imaginary world and that's probably, that's probably most of it. Um, mm. I did have, you know, I had two step parents. Um, I had sibling, half siblings that came a little bit later in my life and I had to find ways to entertain myself. You know, because when you're like eight years old and you have like a newborn brother, um, nine years old, newborn sister, 10 years old, new, another newborn brother and the other one's like two, uh, there's not a lot of room for paying attention, you know, to me. So I learned to play alone and read and write. And I was always kind of in my own stuff as a kid. So I think that and then like in the afternoons, like my parents worked, you know, so like I had free time. So a lot of that, a lot of the, a lot of the time I spent, I spent alone and I spent creating in some form or fashion. Yeah. But yeah, I was, I was like, I was one of those kids that was like very uncomfortable, played by myself, had interesting friendships. Like I, I learned to morph myself very early at a very early age, like to like bob and weave so that I would be accepted and liked. Um, whatever that looked like, it was, you know, I was like a chameleon. Um, and because that, that was like, I was like, oh, well, oh, well, this is how it works. Like I need to be accepted. Right. Like I can't like sit in the corner and just like read books all the time. Like I need to talk to people. So I would be, if, if I needed to disrupt class and be funny, then I would do that. If I needed to make fun of somebody, I would do that. If I needed to pretend I didn't like boys, I would do that. If I needed to dress like, you know, baggy pants, like I did it all. I've done it all. Get bad grades on purpose. Like I've literally done it all. What's Um, the, what's been the positive and negative out of that for you? I mean, I guess the positive is I learned how to move through the world in a very specific way. And I did form relationships with people. And the cool thing is like, I'm working on a project with um, two guys from my childhood one I've known literally since I was five. 
we played in the sandbox together. And one of them I met in middle school and I wrote the first version of this book in that novel form in that class. Wow. Um, Wow. (laughs) Like hidden in a notebook, but Don and I were both nerds, but like I pretended not to be sometimes. So I actually wasn't a great friend to him when we were, we were in school. But the thing is, is that like who I am fundamentally is who I am fundamentally. And so like, I mean, all that stuff doesn't matter now. It's like 20 years past, but we're now connecting at a place on, of like nostalgia, but also like absolute love for like creating science fiction, fantasy, superheroes and all of that. So I think that anyone who I met, who I was morphing for, I probably didn't need to morph for those people. I could have just been me and I would have been fine because here I am fine being me. How has it shaped your ability to write those characters? I hate you. I hate you. (laughs) I was literally asking the same bloody question, mate. Like, I hate you. Amazing. I'm glad that you guys (laughs) came to that psychologically at the same time, telepathically. I am okay. So we were talking about some things about like the, the 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 suppression. I am so excited for you to read this book, Rodney and and Keith, if you get it too, because there's so much. The characters were, was like my thing. Like the, uh-huh. if I was ever insecure about anything, I'll tell you two things I'm not insecure about: world building and character development. I I know it. I know it. You know, uh, dialogue. I'm good at. So. I can tell you that the character experience is very rich and connective. Like I know that to be true. And that is even in my like malleability with people, I was still fundamentally, like I said, curious and attentive and listening. So I, I learned a lot about people uh, over the years and now I would say like using that power for good, which is to, translate people's experiences versus using it for for evil which is figuring out how to like get people to like me you know what i'm saying yeah so in doing all of that and then exploring myself i was able to write the characters so much more authentically and so that they feel they feel very human they feel real like i I've, what i've heard from from readers is like the world feels real and i think that most of that is anchored in like how real the characters feel inside of what they're going through and what they're fighting against. And then the world is, is a character itself. There's like kind of like seven or eight different places we go to and they each feel like their own, they they feel like their own character uh, as well as you travel the kind of the, the United sanctuaries of America and see the destruction. And so it, it, it wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to arrive at that without becoming really intimate with myself and becoming intimate with the relationships that I had formed with people that were not where I wasn't completely authentically myself either. So I got to look at both of those. I'm, I'm excited to read it. Um, I personally, the two things that I look for in stories and shows and books are characters and world building. I I think world building may be number one, and then characters and dialogue, like I think those things, it, it, we we all have our different things that we we look for. And like, but I um I like those. And I ask about the chameleon thing because I very much 
was that and or or I anchor on that because I very much was that. And I wonder how much of so there was the survival thing, mm-hmm. um, being a black man, being a gay black man, how like I'm guessing that played into it. I feel like being black for me played into is like, oh, I just gotta like not like I can't help but be seen, but I want to be seen as little as possible so that I can just keep it moving was kind of how I felt. I don't did you get any of that or Yeah, um the it's 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 interesting to go walk into the world and and automatically kind of be taught that the world is a dangerous place for you, but then also that you're a dangerous person for the world. So like how do you reconcile that that like everything that i am is fundamentally incorrect or there's something wrong with it and that's what the outside perception is which means that then the world is dangerous for me but then also that people look at me and think that i'm the danger to uh you know traditional heteronormative structure or the church or the morality of the of the world um or the, or the, or the white supremacist system, like, you know, and so this is something I learned from my parents too, right? It's like, we have to, I I think it kind of like, my parents were definitely like pioneers in the ways that they, like my mom is like crazy pioneer. Like she, she went in on a ton, ton of stuff and it's less, it's less get in where you fit in, but like make a space for yourself but it didn't become like make a space for yourself and then make noise in that space until much later. Mm. Uh, so when I was growing up, I would say that the kind of the mom I know now is not the mom I grew up with. So I learned early on to make myself available and agreeable so that I could, so I could get places. And then that to me felt like a safe thing to do. It's like, Oh, this is, Oh, this is how you, this is how you're safe. And so I'm being trained, you know, as a kid, like when I put my hand up and like do things that are feminine and my grandfather would like slap my hand down and say, don't be a sissy, like types, things like that. And I was like, Oh, well, okay. So then if I don't do that thing, then no one will know I'm a sissy or they won't say that they won't think that, or, um, Mm. You know, uh, if if reading in the corner by myself on the playground is what a nerd does, then I could just do something different from that. And, you know, and then I'll I'll be not a nerd if wearing baggy jeans makes me look cool. So I was being trained consistently in this kind of like and, and again, I was like kind of curious, like, oh, what happens if I do this or try this? And so I think that was part of the conditioning was like, how do I move safely through the world and but i was learning how to move through the world safely as myself which actually involved me not being myself at all uh, for the most were, part <laughs> were you aware of it at the time or have you become super aware of it in a reflective space i've become super aware of it in a reflective space yeah yeah I mean, I always had a, I think I said this when I was 16, I was like, I'm going to change how people perceive gay black men. Mm. That was just something that came to my head as I was coming out. Cause I was like, there's like, I I want anyone to meet that meets me to have a completely different perspective on gay people when they ever, if they were to come across someone in the future. And so a lot of guy friends that I do have, I'm their first gay friend or, or their first gay black friend or whatever the, the case may be. So, and that has changed their, like, Oh, I never would have 
thought and I never would have, you know, befriended someone. But now that's ridiculous. You know, like to me, that's like a ridiculous thing to think or even to say, because there's absolutely no reason why you wouldn't or you would stray away from like a certain type of person. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. So I've actually, so that, that that's why my perspective has shifted to empowering the people that are themselves so that I don't feel like I need to change so that you like people like me. Like, you just like me or you don't. Mm. That. And I'm just going to be myself and I'm going to be my powerful self and I'm going to speak out and I'm going to, you know, build my vision and I'm going to do the work that I want to do that I'm passionate about and you can just take it or leave it. So I think that that's, that's been the biggest change over the last couple of years as I became more aware of like how what I did kind of worked, but in this, in this climate is like not, is, is not the thing. It's not, it's not the actual thing that, that has you living in your power, has me living in my power. Yeah. So I was kind of thinking about that as you asked that question. And I think I was aware of some pieces of it similarly, like, like when people are like, you're black and I'm like, I'm brown. And they're like, you're black. And like, I just like had this cognitive dissonance. Like this doesn't make sense. Like what you're telling me just doesn't register what I don't think I had awareness of. I don't think I, I felt I had a voice to actually like do anything about it or say anything about it. And then like with books loved reading and I just, something was off. I didn't know what it was. And it was, Many years later, where I look back, I'm like, oh, like you got elves and dwarves and dragons and mm-hmm. demons, but no black people, no Asian. Like, it's really weird. Like, now I look back, I'm like, oh, I get what I sensed was missing. I just couldn't put my finger on it when I was younger. Yeah. And I think that's what <laughs> I think I said this yesterday. It's like funny because God gave me this story when I was 10 and I like spent however many years writing the first version. And then I took a break and I did marketing for 10 or 11 years, but this is going to be the thing that is the like culmination of my entire existence. Like all, all of this together of like the me in the world, the me being powerful in the world. And then the story being the catalyst for other people being powerful in the world. Um, and it, the, the great, it's also already happening. So people mm-hmm. are already seeing what, I'm doing and already being inspired to write their own stories. And so that's the other thing to remember for me when it comes to ego is like, I'm already living, I'm already doing the thing. It's already happening. Mm. And, but the, the piece of it that is important is that these stories like Harry Potter, you couldn't say a bad thing about Harry Potter. People are like diehard. The fact that there are no stories like this, like that, that feature that are so like mass scale that are not literary, but more, you know, Children of Blood and Bone is a growing property. I see that being one of the first, one of the first trilogies to be this, like, everyone knows who Zelly is, like, she's going to be a global household name, but that's one. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're just going to have to see how it unfolds. A lot of people publish BIPOC work and a lot of people don't know it exists. So to have a character like an Alistair, who I feel like is so relatable, be something that people can, someone that people can, can root for, I think it will change 
the dynamics of like how especially black men are viewed which i think is also an important yeah as much as your mission now is to inspire other bipoc creators to create and build universes and expand and grow on yours and whatever the case may be how much underneath is there still that desire to make this change perspective mm. or do you not care it will change perspective yeah. because what happens is once people start to change how they see themselves, it will change how they see the world. Mm. So the work is actually inner, right? To read a book like this and feel more powerful in yourself mm. um, will actually change the way you see power in the world and what it actually means, right? Like it's redefining power. Um, mm. So I think that that is, it's part of the experience. Love that. Love it. I'm going to bring it home with our last question. But first, I want to thank you. This has been a wonderful conversation. And Mm -hmm. I already have notes for five follow-up things uh, to hit you up with. Uh, Oh, six. So thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your thoughts and energy. Thank you, Jason for all that you're doing and for joining us on the show. It's been great. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's been a very the world long. needs all eight of these books <laughs> needs it, it, or more, whatever it's going to be like, we need it. So keep it, keep it going. Um, the last question is a simple one. Well, at least I think it is. What does compassion mean to you? Compassion to me right now is actually presence. Mm. It is, um, you're already living the life you want to live compassion is you've you're you're, i'm doing the thing and uh i am the person to be doing it and uh yeah compassion is like i am me and that's and that's enough (laughs) 